where do you start a story about the beginning? Well, I guess we could start at the beginning. And in, in this story, the story of the beginning of man to, to the ancient Greeks came when Prometheus, a titan, came down to earth. Hello, welcome. Welcome to this new show, From the Logs, the Gods and Heroes show. I'm so glad you can join us. And I'm so glad we're back after this very long hiatus. I hope everybody's being safe. I hope everybody's healthy. And I hope you enjoy what's coming. So this is Prometheus and the Age of Man. The heavens and the earth and the waters and animals, trees, fish, and birds all existed on this otherwise primitive earth primitive in the sense that no creature worthy to understand the soul, some may say the beauty of it all, did not exist. Well, not until Prometheus, his name translating to forethought, came to check out what was going on, on this simple body, on our earth. But hold on a second, because we did not exist as of yet. No human existed in this world. But the world existed, and Prometheus understood that this earth was created by the seed of the heavens, and that everything around him was meant to be given to something or someone. Now, Prometheus contained a very crafty and go-get-em attitude. You can say he had a little fire in him. So, alone in this world, he reached into the ground and pulled out clay from the earth. He took it to a nearby river and moistened it so that it was soft enough to knead and shape into a form, a human form. He based his design on the image of the gods, now sitting atop Olympus, an empire of heavens around him. Prometheus thought of his creation as the lords of this new world, a world, as we've said, was with an untapped spirit. Prometheus, however, was at an impasse. His humanoid form was merely that. It contained none of the human characteristics he wished for in a lord of the earth. He did not see the fire in the eye and a passion in the spirit. So he tried to imbue the human with the good and the evil of the earth. So he took to the animals around him and pulled aspects of their spirit and translated them into the human. Prometheus had effectively given humans their animalistic instinct, the drive for food, warmth, shelter, and sex. But again, he felt that these were not the lords of the earth that he intended. Luckily for him, he had an admirer from atop Olympus, Athena goddess of wisdom born from Zeus's own head. She had watched as Prometheus crafted his human and came down to earth to greet the earth-formed figure and the titan that had created him. She marveled at what Prometheus had managed to create, and she wanted to help him achieve his goal of creating a lord of the world. She noted as Prometheus had, that these forms had not yet a spirit that would allow them to rule as lords of the earth. 
so she took to her own faculties and with one swoop breathed the breath of spirit, similar to the winds atop Olympus. This was the divine breath that was breathed into the human form. And yet, it was still only half alive. Nevertheless, they were released into the world, and they filled the earth. The earliest humans did not know what to do with their form. They looked at their limbs, clueless to what they were for. They felt a divine breath within them, but could not tap into it. They just moved about the world aimlessly. In an almost limbo, human-shaped forms wandered and cared not for anything, for they did not know what was worthy to care for. It was as almost as if they were in a dream. Humans had not yet understood the concepts of the seasons. They scurried to caves, frightened of passing storms, and lived in darkness. They didn't know of cutting stone to build tools, or burning clay to make pots, or cutting trees to create homes. They could not tell of the changing of the seasons, the dead of the winter, the blossoming of the spring, and the heat of the summer. They lived empty lives. And all the while, as time passed, Prometheus watched in pity, in pity of his creation. So he put it within himself to help his humans. And he flew down to Earth, and he taught them. Prometheus gathered the humans and lifted their heads to the skies above. He showed them about the rising sun, pulled by Helios on his blazing chariot. He showed them the night sky and how to read the stars that dot the darkness. Prometheus showed humans new forms of communication with lettered symbols that represent words, and he showed them how to count. He went on to show them how to care for crops, the crops protected by Demeter, and how to hunt and to tame the animals that Artemis hides in her forests. Prometheus educated humans about riding horses and boats to traverse the sprawling world in which they lived. Prometheus worked on all aspects of the human, as they were only guided by their animalistic instincts. Humans would eat anything they could find and fall ill frequently with no chance of remedying their body. Prometheus guided the humans to the hills and the forests where they could find healing herbs to cure sickness. Prometheus showed the humans how to use herbs to heal themselves and how to care for the human form that he had crafted for them. Beyond the day-to-day, health and, and the organization of human society, Prometheus taught humans to think about the world around them and to be curious about it. He guided them on foretelling the future and interpreting their dreams, how to understand the flights of birds and the omens in which they carry. And he showed the humans how to produce offerings to the residents of Olympus. One resident, in particular, was becoming ever so alert of Prometheus's work on Earth. 
This was the king of the Olympians, Zeus, father to the gods. He had fairly recently defeated his father, Kronos, in a grand battle between Olympian and Titan, and established himself as the sole power of all heavens and earth. He feared that Prometheus was undermining him with his new creatures, forming them of the heavens and teaching them the secrets of Olympus. So, Zeus called to Prometheus and to his creations and proposed a meeting to determine the rights and the duties of man. In a place called Mekoni in Greece, both humans and the immortal gods meant to lay the groundwork for their new relationship. In this council, Prometheus deemed himself representative for his humans. As to protect them from facing a gross imposition of duties to the gods. As the meeting commenced, Prometheus called to his cunning in an effort to strike a good deal for the humans. He slaughtered a mighty bull in the Agora at Mekoni and divided the pieces into two piles. One pile had all the meat and the flesh and most of the fat from the animal and he covered that pile with the hide. And in the other pile, he stacked bones into a very large heap and shined the bones with a covering of the fat he had left over. He then looked to Zeus and to the other immortals and told them to choose which of the piles they pleased. The latter pile of glimmering bones was a much larger pile than the other, and Zeus saw through this trickery. He called to Prometheus, telling him, I understand why you have divided the piles of the bull so unevenly. You are playing me for a fool. And Prometheus responded aptly, O father of the gods and king of the heavens and earth, I merely call on your eminence and all the other immortal beings at this meeting to choose one of these two piles at my side. And Zeus, now burning from the inside with anger, looked to the larger heap and picked up the gleaming fat and pulled it apart, revealing only a collection of bones from the slaughtered creature. Upon uncovering this, Zeus said calmly, It has now become clear to me, Prometheus, that you have not yet forgotten the art of deception. Zeus called to the heavens, and a thunderstorm cracked in the distance. He was to punish Prometheus for his misdeeds against the gods of Olympus, and he denied the mortals the final peace they needed to craft the perfect civilization. Fire. But even now, Prometheus continued to call unto his clever mind and broke a stalk of a plant, and he carried it to the highest peak. And as Ilios carried the sun to bring in the day, he held the stalk against the path of the blazing chariot, and it smoldered. Quickly, he brought it back down to earth and showed it to his such beloved creatures and burned some wood to keep them warm. Soon, however, 
the plume of smoke was carried into the sky, and Zeus spotted it from his throne on Olympus. He let out a roar that shocked all the skies and all the world, and broke thunder through all the clouds all over Greece. As he came to his senses, he realized that fire was a tool that could not be taken away from the men now, and that he must devise another way to punish Prometheus's creatures. Idea struck, and he rushed to the bubbling forges of Olympus, run by the fire god Ephestos, who had skills beyond any being that have even been brought into existence. Zeus ordered Ephestos to fashion an image of a beautiful young woman, and Athena, now angered at Prometheus for his trickeries against the Olympians, came to Ephestos and helped him create this image of the beautiful woman. Shimmering in a white robe, her face was covered in a veil, stitched with thin threads of gold metal, techniques only Ephistos could master. As the life came to the woman, she parted the veil with her hands and she placed flowers into her hair. Hermes, who was the grand messenger of the gods, came to the woman and gifted her the gift of language, the language of lovely mischief. Aphrodite, the most beautiful of all the Olympians, placed charms upon the woman. And as the gods concluded their work, Zeus grinned as he gazed upon his master plan, a being under the guise of pure desire would create misfortune for Prometheus's creatures. He looked at the woman and all the gods that had given parts of them to her, and he named her Pandora, or she who has gifts from all. Zeus gently carried his creation to earth and placed her where all the men had gathered, and all of Prometheus's creatures were dumbfounded, for none had ever seen a woman before. But before he left for Olympus, Zeus granted Pandora a box and leaned in to whisper instructions into her ear. As Zeus fled for the sky, Pandora began her mission. She sought out for Epimetheus, the brother of Prometheus, and upon finding him, presented him with the box she had received from Zeus. Now, Epimetheus was not as intelligent nor as cunning as his brother, but he was told by Prometheus to never accept anything from the Olympians, for it would only bring great evil. But as Epimetheus gazed upon the radiant woman, he forgot everything and anything that Prometheus may have even told him. He received the woman in his home and gladly accepted the gift from the god-king and the immortals of Olympus. Proud, he walked chin up to the box that Pandora held tightly at her bosom. As Epimetheus approached, she quickly opened the lid and outflowed all of the calamities of the world. Pain, immorality, injustice, death, destruction spread across the earth at the speed of a lightning bolt. And just as quickly as Pandora opened the box, she closed it. Following Zeus's orders, 
before the one good, which was hidden at the bottom of the box, rushed out as well. This one good was hope, and Pandora closed it into the box forever. The many calamities presented to the world ravaged everything the humans had created, and death, which was slowly approaching humans since their inception as they were mortal beings, now ran with winged feet to carry men down to the underworld. Zeus had finally punished the humans. He moved to take revenge on Prometheus for his crimes against Olympus. He rushed again to Ephesus and told the fire god along with his servants to drag Prometheus to Scythia and plant him at the edge of a steep cliff which overlooked a chasm, a chasm which seemed to crack right into the core of the earth. Ephesus and his servants obeyed the god-king and, and took their unbending chains and tied Prometheus off the edge of the cliff. But Ephesus obeyed the orders with a very heavy heart, for he cared for Prometheus, seeing him as a child of the gods, as he was a descendant of Ephesus's own great-grandfather, Uranos, father of Kronos. As he tied Prometheus to the cliff, Ephesus spoke to him with great compassion. Oh, Prometheus, a brother, I now chained to this rock, forced to remain upright, sleepless. You will never be able to bend your tired knees to sit and rest. And Ephesus continued, as Prometheus felt the chains bind him tighter. Oh, Prometheus, you will utter so many plights and sorrows and so much pain will you feel, all of which will be in vain, Ephesus said, tears bubbling in his eyes. O oh, Prometheus, how I wish I could fight for you, but the will of Zeus is unshakable. He is hard of heart, as all those who have only recently wrestled great power from others and presented it all to themselves. Prometheus remained quiet as the chains prevented his chest from lifting to breathe in anything other than short breaths. And Ephesus left, leaving Prometheus to endure torments forever. And each day, Zeus sent an eagle to feed on Prometheus's liver, which would always grow back, no matter how much the bird devoured. Zeus proclaimed that Prometheus's punishment would continue forever or until one comes of his own free will to take his place at the edge of the cliff. Now, most stories of Prometheus conclude there, leaving him in an endless cycle of pain, but someone would soon come to replace Prometheus at the edge of the cliff. Upon administering his cruel punishment, Zeus supposed that no one would ever come in Prometheus's stead at the edge of this cliff. But it was only a year after he was bound to the cliff that Heracles, the most famous demigod in all of mythology, came to Prometheus's aid. Heracles was bound on his quest for the golden apples when he stumbled upon the titan chained to the rock, and he approached to ask him for advice 
when he noticed the crazed eagle picking at Prometheus' side. Heracles felt immense pity as he saw the crimson blood flow down Prometheus' body and heard a cry to the heavens that left Prometheus' pained face. Heracles reached for his bow and steadily loaded an arrow. He pulled on the bow with the strength of the gods and the arrow shot at such speed that when it hit the bird, it continued landing on the edge of the world. He then ran to Prometheus and loosened the chains that bound him so tightly and lifted him away from the cliff. But Heracles had to satisfy Zeus's conditions. So he brought Hedon, a centaur who had himself offered to die in Prometheus' stead. And so he fulfilled Zeus's judgment. Zeus begrudgingly accepted the terms, but handed an iron ring to Prometheus, a ring that he would never be able to take off. And he set into the ring a rock from the cliff's edge. In this way, Zeus could claim that his enemy, Prometheus, would always be stuck to that cliff. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Gods and Heroes show. Thank you again for your continued support. I do very, very much appreciate it, especially in these tough times. I hope you are doing very, very well. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please go ahead and follow us on all our social media platforms. They'll be linked below. Go ahead to our merch store and purchase some great merch for yourself. And above all, stay happy, stay healthy, and keep on laughing. We'll see you next time.